When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, just make sure that you're safe at Runyon because Runyon is like the part of the club when it comes to hiking in LA. Okay, have fun. If random will walk up to you and ask for your number or offer to give you make you a star, just say no, thank you. No habla inglés. Yes. All right. I haven't been to Runyon. Yeah, my cousin and her girlfriend are in town and they're going to hike in Runyon. And we know, Run- yeah, Runyon is a hot spot here, so. It is. You it's where, like, okay. where non-hikers go to hike. Oh, you guys heard that? She says where non-hikers go to hike, so you don't have to worry about passing out. Okay. okay. No, it's it's very easy. But wait a minute. Your version of easy is very different than most people's version of it's, easy. It's, it's an easy, gradual incline. It's not like, shh. Okay. You'll you'll your blood will be pumping, but it's not like you don't need walking poles or anything like that. If my baby cousin comes back <laughs> huffing and puffing, talking about you lied to me. <laughs> but like Lola told me it was easy. Marge, Lola said it's easy, but she also works out like 17 hours a day. So I Lola need you to the gym seven days a week. So she's gonna be like Yeah. So like- my spirit is telling me it's their easy, not our easy. Yes. Okay. okay. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> Lola, you look so beautiful. Thank you. I did my hair and everything. Right. You look like, I always say this when my friends look like good credit. Actually, I think you actually do have good credit. So that's not I true. do. You do? She's like, actually, I do. All right. I we're going to get started good. because number one, I'm excited that you're doing this with me today because I wanted to kind of push the envelope about how I do the pod. You know, usually when we do the podcast, we're in a studio, everybody has hair and makeup, we're all in person. But I was like, there's so many people that I adore who are so smart, especially about certain topics that I want to talk mm-hmm. to. I was like, I want to start getting my audience used to the idea of me doing virtual ones, which might not be as visually fancy as being in the studio, but the conversation will be just as good. Yeah, now I have, I have a quick question, quick question for you. I actually am old school. I prefer to listen to podcasts than to watch them. How about you? Uh, I would definitely say this same especially because I listen to podcasts more when I'm like working out or cleaning like when I'm doing something else is when I'll listen to podcasts generally so I can't be sitting there watching a video yeah and the thing is too I think and this might be an age thing right because back in the day we would listen to audiobooks you would listen to the radio Mm -hmm. and so there's this thing about suspended reality where you're not worried about the 93 percent of communication that comes from your eyes Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes when I watch a podcast, I get distract- distracted with the optics. 
Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, I just, I don't need to look at the visual of it. Listening is fine. And I, I just, I like being free to physically do something else. Like I don't, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine taking in information just from an audio perspective. And that's a whole you. There's some people who their voices just sound better isolated. Like I, you, you know, when you know, no, I don't mean okay, that sounds bad. That's like, you like a butterfly. Yeah, no, no, I'm not going to ugly. Okay. Clearly it's been a long day. What I meant was like, there's some folks who have really amazing voices, but you don't really get mm-hmm. to really sit with that. If you're watching their co-hosts and facial expressions and the light, whatever, I kind of like Fair the idea of closing my eyes and just listening to a really great voice. Okay, so don't don't look at my beautiful shelving that's here in my kitchen. No, your shelving is amazing. And you know what? Before we even officially get started, I just want to mm-hmm. shout you out for all the work that you've been doing with your Airbnb hustle and trying to mm-hmm. educate the masses. Uh, for those of you who've been listening, the pod actually has been recording for a couple minutes now. So thank you for uh, <laughs> rocking with us. This is Laura Jimenez, who is an all-around badass. I have known her for, God, 15 years now? You know what? I was just thinking about this. When did you start at College Summit? I started in 2008. The very, very beginning. The very, very beginning of two. Okay. Or it could have been actually, no, the end of 2007, I think it was. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's right. Because I think you and I overlap by like two years. Yeah. So it it was like 2007. So how many years has that been? 16. Are you serious? Girl, it flew. I found like... (laughs) When people do math around me now, I feel like it's just a, a clever way of calling me old. I don't like this. So, and I know what we're here to talk about the Oscars. When they did their little pre-show, the the countdown to the Oscars, and they were doing that retrospective, and they were like, it's 40 years since Tootsie. And I was like, no, it hasn't been. Yeah, I'm not. Why? I don't like why are you making me feel? Why? Why do I feel like I'm ancient? When you're 30, that stuff is cute. Like, oh, look at me. I'm a grown up. Mm-hmm. When you're 40, mm-hmm. you're like, shut up. Mind your business. I don't need to. Mm-mm. We don't have to do the math on this. And I mm-hmm. love, did you watch the Oscars live as it was happening? Like, I did. I streamed it. So I don't know if there's like a time delay, but yes, I watched it live. After what happened last year, the most definitely had to have been a time delay. You know <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you know, they were concerned about God forbid Somebody gets a backhanded. Now, I'm going to ask you something controversial up front before we get started about the Oscars. And then pull up my notes real quick. Although, to mm-hmm. be honest, I feel like a lot of this is going to be very intuitive, what I want to talk to you about. How yeah. did you honestly feel about the slap? And the reason why I'm asking you is because I feel like people of color had a more nuanced view of it in large part yeah. than the mainstream, right? Yeah. Because... Yeah. We just uh, we just understand a certain level of survival that's a little bit more yep. heightened and street yep. justice <laughs> than is what considered mainstream. And so I don't I I know there are black people who are just appalled and disgusted and whatever. I get that. But for the most part as a community, we were like, mm, there's levels. So how did you feel about what happened last year? Because I remember being in bed watching the Oscars mm-hmm. and doing something else and looking up and saying, This is a weird skit, and then going, Oh no, he mad. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't hear about it until the next day, because first of all, until last night, it had been 10 years since I watched the Oscars. <gasps> I, I, I disengaged from like pop culture a long time ago. And I think I mentioned this to you. That um, is wild. Cause I associate you so much with your love of the Oscars, but we have known each other for 16 years. So yeah, it's true. Yeah. I was totally into it. And then, you know, just one day I realized like, wait a minute, what I'm spending so much time on what, like, and is this, what, what is coming in? They're talking about the clothes 
-hmm. And like, so I just, I, I disengage from it. However, I heard about it the the next day and my, my initial reaction was to be appalled and to have a nuanced understanding. I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And the nuance that I kind of took from it was that was not a grown man who just slapped this other grown man. This was a child who had watched his mother get beat before. Mm-hmm. And so when people insult women that he loves, this this is the child in him that wants to protect. That's what initially came to 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 my mind, right? Because I thought about like, I've got a brother, right? And there was an incident with my brother where I was not really physically threatened, but he felt like I was physically threatened and mm-hmm. something turned and he broke this man's nose. So you can I, be energe- I energetically threatened. Yeah, you can be energetically threatened where even though somebody might not want to like hit you, th- they're being violent energetically around you and somebody who loves yeah. you can pick up on that. Yeah. I love so that you brought it back to his childhood. I love that you did that because that is compassionate. Um, I also want to bring up the fact that there's a code switching. Can we be honest? Since this is humanized, there's a code switching that happens in front of white folks. Yeah. And there's a way that we, as people of color, needle each other that white folks don't understand, but we understand, right? And so if you have someone who in, in mainstream like audiences is constantly taking jabs at you in a very specific way that you know that in person, in the street or in a black or brown area, they would not talk crazy to you, but they think that they're shrouded or mm-hmm. safe because of the white gaze. That's right. If that happens repeatedly when people play, they call it playing in your face, right? Mm-hmm. When someone's playing in your face like that, I don't think white America can in any way fully understand what that kind of violence feels like in plain sight. Like somebody can be violent to you if you're a part of the, the our community and it can be hidden in plain sight. Like you don't realize what's happening. And for me, hearing the backstory about how Chris had a crush on Jada 30 years ago and was doing content around how he was in love with this Hollywood actress who would have given the time of day. And then she marries Will Smith who becomes the biggest black superstar in the world for several years. Like how many summers mm-hmm. did he dominate? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you're Chris, you're Chris Rock and you're thinking, oh, she wanted him and not me. And now you have power. And every time you're in a big place, you're constantly making jokes about the girl you didn't get. At some point, her husband's going to be like, bruh, you're not going to keep on talking crazy about my wife in front of these white folks who think it's just a funny comedy act when I know that this is coming from a personal beef, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So between, and also too, Chris Rock has a tendency to be a little minstrelly. I'm going to keep it a buck with you. You saw that Louis C.K., Ricky Gervais. I did, I did, posted, yeah. Where he used the N-word and then literally said, come on, white boys, you can say the N-word too. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He, he has, to, and he has to speak for that at some point. Like he tends to do things that are egregious in the black and brown communities that he knows he can get away with in front of white folks. And he's mm-hmm. used to that as long as he gets their approval and their paychecks, our pain, our whatever doesn't really matter to him as much because he's winning because he's rich. And I think my question is, mm-hmm. where is that line between how you say, well, I'm rich, so clearly I'm doing something right versus, hey, I'm doing something that I know that is damaging to my community. Like, how do you navigate that? Because Lola, I met you and you had, and this is a flex for you, you had something to do with campaigning for Obama the first time, right? So Mm -hmm. you know what it's like to see black excellence up close and you got, you know, you kind of look like him too. Isn't your daddy got to look like Obama? 
He does. <laughs> Anybody who is looking at you right now, now that I've said that your dad looks like Obama, they're looking at you like, oh shit, it's a Latina Obama. Like you, like, you know what it's like to be around the excellence for our people, but also be in spaces where you still have to like play nice with the white folks. Yeah. So I think any conversations around last year's slap that casts Chris Rock as the complete victim, I think is lazy thinking Mm -hmm. because what that ultimately says is that we don't need to take responsibility for the things that we say and do. Meaning when you are in a space, you bear the responsibility of understanding who you're talking to, what the context is, right? And this isn't about code switching or anything like that. This is just human to human, Yeah. right? Take responsibility for the energy that you are putting out in the world and then the energy that your words carry, right? You, you know the kind of impact you're trying to have with the words you say and the tone you use. Come on now. So I, I think that at the end of the day, whether this was about him wanting Jade in the back of the day, I don't know. I just know that as a human being, as an adult in this world, you know, we don't have the luxury of saying anything we want to say at any given time in any tone because we have to live with other people. We are social beings. I love that you mentioned that because people think that freedom of speech means freedom from consequences. That's and right. And I keep on telling folks that like, the reason why I brought up code switching in particular is I think sometimes code switching and it's white equivalent dog, those, those dog whistles, people think they're being clever. And that's where it comes in. Like people think if they use coded or veiled language that only certain people fully understand that they got away with it. Mm. Like somehow I won't be held accountable because technically I was just telling a joke or technically I right. use woke, but woke is the 2023 version of, of thug. Now when, when you see somebody on Fox news say, you know, well, the woke kids, that's what they say with thugs, which at the end of the day to me means the N-word, right? Like you're trying to say mm-hmm. that the black people, the brown people, the immigrants, the LGBTQ, those woke folks who make life so annoying. But you're saying in a way that you're like, no, I'm just using a word that you guys use. No, we know what, what it means when you say it like that. And that's so, right. That's right. I think Chris Rock overestimated how clever he was and underestimated how frustrated and tired Will Smith was. And it created this perfect storm. And I always say that like, all feelings are valid. All actions are not. I I don't have to say it's okay to slap Chris Rock to be like, I completely understand why he got slapped. Absolutely. And and that's what I'm saying that neither one of them is innocent in this situation. Exactly. Everybody's hands are a little, a little dirty. Everybody's hands are a little dirty. And it is absolutely appalling that he slapped him at all, right? Let alone on broadcast television where millions of people were watching. Yeah. Um, you know, and Chris Rock overstepped a line. Repeatedly. And yeah, maybe repeatedly for years. And I'm just talking about this one incident, yeah. right? And and he did it on, you know, the biggest night of Hollywood. Like, can you imagine the kind of sting that would have carried? Like, it, it may have played out differently if he was just in, you know, an L.A. comedy club giving, well, them, absolutely. you know, and Will Smith would have been in the audience. Like, I think there would have been a different interaction there. But I think because of where it was happening, I think it, it just stung a little more. And so, again, ain't nobody innocent here. I, I completely understand why it went down the way it went down. 
Well, it's so funny because when I think about what would I feel if I was hosting the Oscars, the first thing that comes to mind is when you're on stage and you're looking at the front row, it feels very intimate. It looks big on TV, yeah. but it was very intimate. And so to see someone, and what was in the front, because he was all in the press about this might be the year he finally wins an Oscar. So you know this is the year that he's been waiting for for 35 years of his career. Yeah. He's sitting in the front row with his wife. You can almost smell his breath because he's so close. And yeah. you used to be confrontational in that way. And I think it's intellectually dishonest not to admit that you were confrontational and thought that you were safer than you really were. Which brings me to Ricky. <laughs> which brings me to people like Ricky Gervais who do that all the time. And Ricky Gervais has said things that are wild and not gotten slapped. Um, Jimmy Kimmel, on the other hand, last night made it clear. He's like, look, I don't have any street cred. I have security with me. What do we think? <laughs> He's like, look, before you get to me, there's about 18 people waiting. What do we think about his opening monologue? Because I'm going to be honest, my feelings about Jimmy Kimmel have fluctuated a lot in the last five years. But last night, I actually was a little impressed mm-hmm. by his poise and his, yeah, I'll let you talk. Because I, I was really surprised by how much I liked what he did last night. I I couldn't agree more. I, I think he struck the right balance mm-hmm. of of acknowledging acknowledging how just long right and boring frankly these ceremonies are and kind mm-hmm. of you know playing into that a little bit and I think he also he acknowledged the slap several times without saying it outright getting and, with it that was clever and what did he say about something, something about Hitch, but Hitch ain't here. And it was, <laughs> you know, like, like if you needed he was being a comedian, movie. he was punching up. He was being an and actual comedian. Wasn't cheesy. And yeah. that's what I was afraid of. I afraid that they, I was afraid of them just taking the cheap shots about this. And I think he, he did it in a classy way. He acknowledged everything that was going on, the feeling, the context in the room, and he kept it light and he kept it moving. So yeah, I loved it. And the audience interaction, there was one moment, though, because I liked how he interacted with the audience in the opening, but there was one moment where he made a Malala joke. Yes. And the Twitters was not happy about that. Now, Malala is, I mean, she's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Like, she's like the mm-hmm. modern-day Mother Teresa, but she was also at the Oscars. Right. And my thing is, if you want to be of the world enough to be in the audience at the Oscars, I would hope that you'd have a little bit of a sense of humor. Did you think he, he went too far or do you think that she was just taking herself a little too seriously? I mean, she was just nervous. I mean, it could have been that. It could yeah. have been, you know, I don't know. Are those things always authentic or are they a little scripted? Yeah. So for, for me, I don't, I don't put too much weight into it because like you said in the beginning, they were not taking any chances. So I would be hard pressed to believe that there wasn't an entire script for this that had to be written out, read and approved by a thousand people Absolutely. and that they just followed it. So uh, whether it wasn't a genuine bit or not, I, I think it was probably scripted. If you, people were like, oh my God, I can't, I'm like, girl, this is supposed to be fun. Now, are you one of those folks who watches the red carpet beforehand? Yeah, when I watch it, I watch the entire you go thing. all so in. I go all in. I'm there for six hours. Wow. I could I did about <laughs> three and a half and I felt like I had done my service for the week. Uh there was a moment that went super viral about Ashley Graham having to interview Hugh Grant, which was interesting because Hugh Grant used to be America's sweetheart of the rom coms back in his younger days. 
Oh, but then he got caught. Remember that? Then he got caught with sex workers of melanated varieties and all types of... In Santa Monica, right? Like, right when... Yeah, it was... And you could tell she was a city girl before we even knew that term. Like, he picked yeah. her a hot girl. Like, he knew exactly what And he was. she was black, right? Wasn't her name Divine yes. Brown? Her name was, like, Divine Brown. And she was a, she was a black lip liner, red <laughs> lipstick, come That's if you right. want to, like, waterfall bang kind of black. Like, That's it wasn't right. Ashley Banks kind of black. So... That's right. He wanted a sister, Okay. There's yeah. a way to date black and still feel like you still got one foot out. Like he wanted a sister. And mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by men who get caught and what they secretly like that they won't have on their arms. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. woman or a spicy Latina or a trans woman, or, you know what I mean? Or, or a plus size woman. So I was interested. I was like, oh my God, so many men in Hollywood have a black girl fetish and don't want to admit it. The one that I've heard about for years was Brad Pitt. We all know that Brad Pitt once dated Robin Gibbons. Did you know that? A lot, I, really I was going to say, he likes, he's into black and brown girls, right? He likes black girls. And Tiffany Haddish, when she first came out, got, you know, she was running her mouth too much at first. I love Tiffany, but she was oversharing. Yeah. She's like, Brad Pitt tried to hit on me in the elevator. I was like, girl, you you take that to the grave. And get- <laughs> <laughs> now he's not going to sleep with you no more because you told everybody in the press that he tried to holler at you. So right, I right, like right. that Brad Pitt likes black girls secretly. I don't know why it tickles me. Maybe because he's goddamn hot. <laughs> Let me actually be honest. It's pretty clear. <laughs> what happens but Hugh Grant I used to think of him like oh he's a white boy who's A-list but he has a little whatever to him last night he was a donkey to Ashley Graham did you see that clip where she was interviewing him oh my god she was she was interviewing Hugh Grant and every question she he asked she was he was asked he gave an answer that was so short like who are you wearing a suit what are you looking forward to the show like he was just mm. quietly kind of stank and being difficult. And mind you, mm. he's been in the industry like what thirty years, forty years. Yeah, he knows how to give a good interview. He used to be the like the master of it. Well, and- he's like the charming guy, right? Like, isn't how he's the British charm, self deprecating humor. I, his charm did not show up last night. He was a dick. He was an absolute. He was he her. was kind of a jerk on stage. Now that I think about it, he was a little. I'm I'm not going to go that that far, but he was he a called little himself acidic. a scrotum. That's right. When you compare yourself to balls, yeah, you might be having a bad day. Well, and you it's got one to of those wear things moisturizer. That, yeah, yeah. The moisturizer joke actually hit home because I'm at the age now where moisturizing actually matters to me. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't moisturize, okay. I'm concerned about what's going to happen to me a year from now. Can we discuss when you look mm-hmm. into old Hollywood? Because I feel like there's very, it's very rare that you see old Hollywood all together outside of the Oscars because of the influence or TikTok era that we're in right now. And so there are so many like A-list celebrities from, from yesteryear, back when A-list was hard, like when it was actually hard and the algorithm wasn't a factor. And I was like, look at all these people and see how they aged. It was kind of like, wow, you guys have been doing this your entire lives. You know what yeah. I mean? Like imagine people who've been to several Oscars, which is why I was shocked when Jimmy Kimmel pointed out that there were 16 people who were being nominated for the first time, including Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, the reason why I'm segueing to Jamie Lee Curtis because I'm conflicted, okay? As a woman over, <laughs> who's over 35, I think it's amazing when we get reminders that we can, we're still hot and we still got it and that our dreams won't have an expiration date despite mm-hmm. what Instagram has to tell us. So I love mm-hmm. that after all these decades, she finally got nominated. Love mm-hmm. that for her. Mm-hmm. What I don't love, choosing my words carefully. Did you see Wakanda Forever? The second one, no, I haven't seen it. I would say for anybody who's seen everything, everywhere, all at once and up, down and down and around the corner, anybody who's seen that movie and seen Wakanda forever, 
mm-hmm. everything all at once. I, I, that title is so long. <laughs> everything everywhere <laughs> all at once. There we go. Yeah, that movie is amazing, right? It's a great movie. Jamie Lee Curtis's performance was also good. It was not better than Angela Bassett's. Angela Bassett's performance, when you watch Wakanda Forever, I literally remember people in the, in the audience gasping when she came on. Like her presence was so right. palpable, it made your body tingle. Mm-hmm. And not to have a spoiler, but we know that there's a part where she's grieving about death. And when she says, Have I not lost enough? Mm-hmm. I literally felt if you've ever lost anybody or anything that you've loved, it was mm-hmm. impossible to see Angela Bassett showing grief on stage as this melanated, gorgeous woman and not feel like your soul cried. And for her to lose when we all felt like this was her year, mm-hmm. I felt like she was robbed. I feel like she was robbed. And I think because it happened so soon after the Beyonce, Harry Styles kerfuffle, mm-hmm. it started to feel like y'all keep on placating us when you're not going to give us our things. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about those moments where someone you love has won, but you feel like the person who it was their moment was robbed? Or are you one of those folks who's like, oh, well, it was an, you know, it was an honor just to be nominated. A hundred years into my career, I'm still just getting nominated. Yeah. So, you know, part of why I disengaged from like the Oscars in particular, mm-hmm. at least 10 years ago, is because the question I, asked myself that I couldn't answer was how do you how do you rate art right how do you say what art is good better best right we're all kind of making it up you know so there there's really no such thing as best picture right it's it's just something that people declare um and it's somewhat arbitrary so I I take it less seriously from that perspective But I do think that there is, what's the word I want to use? I think that there is a um, a lack of truly appreciating the art that people of color in particular put forward. And it'll be, you know, one or two people of color and it's like, check. Yeah, you know, we we we've done our thing. Oh, look at all these Asian Americans. Look at how I was just thinking are. that. I, I, I was like, did they not give it to her because they felt like, like it was an Asian year? Like Asian people and black people can't win the same. Like, and to answer your question, what is art or what makes it better or best? For me personally, I believe art is deeply subjective. I also do, do believe that impact is undeniable. Mm-hmm. And when you have an electric performance, you know it when you feel it. Mm-hmm. And. I do think that there is some art that we have to admit just it creates a visceral reaction. And I think art at its best Absolutely. makes you feel something and mm-hmm. or reflects back to you who you are or what the world could or is currently. Right. And I think mm-hmm. by those metrics of reflection and impact, it mm-hmm. very much was Angela Bassett and not Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that's why I was like, I don't really care about you people, but like one person made me like cry in the theater and somebody else was in a cool movie. Yeah, and I was just like, and also too, I think because I watched so many films this year, the more I realized this is probably the last year that I watch all the films. Mm. The white supremacy of it all was actually more blatant the more you watch the films. Because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I know so many people of color who've made something similar who would never get an Oscar nod. This is what you guys are validating? And to answer mm-hmm. your question, mm-hmm. it's arbitrary for the viewers in a, on a micro scale, but it's not arbitrary for the social landscape. And I say that because I remember 
when Lena Waith won the Emmy. And I had, you know, I'd been going back and forth between LA and, and DC for a long time before LA pulled me away. Mm-hmm. And I remember in March of that year, maybe it was like February, I had watched Master of None and I had seen all the episodes and I saw the Thanksgiving episode. And I literally told my friend, she, if the world was fair, she'd win an Emmy for the, for this performance. And I said that to one of my friends, I wish I'd saved the text. A month later, we're all at the movie theater to see Girls Trip, actually, the opening weekend at the Arclight mm-hmm. Theater. And I see Lena Waithe with her group of friends. I tell my friends, that's Lena Waithe from Master of None. And nobody in my group, my, my group of friends knew who the hell that was. Six months later, she wins the Emmy. Mm-hmm. Now everybody in the world, oh my God, Lena Waithe is so amazing. Mm-hmm. There's a thing, I literally watched somebody that nobody knew who she was in, in the spring. Suddenly everybody in the world is talking about her, offering her opportunities, giving her money to green light projects for other creatives of color and making mm-hmm. her 10 times richer and creating these deals that simply wouldn't have happened the day before she won that statue. Right. So there's this seismic shift that happens when you get that stamp. Yes, absolutely. And financial gain and access and power and opportunity for your entire ecosystem. Absolutely. And so for me, now seeing with my own eyes what that stamp means, I don't even Mm -hmm. know about if the movie's good or not. I know that whoever gets that stamp, everybody around them is going to eat better. And I think- No, I think that's right. And and I, I can't remember, you know, I, I did, I wrote it down in my notes, Brian Tyree Henry, right? Love he him. made that point. He made that point in, um, and I think the, the countdown to the Oscars when they were interviewing him. And he said, you know, about the moment that he found out that he got nominated, he was like in an elevator where he lived and he was in there with a white man. And it was early in the morning. And I guess the announcement had to come out, you know, while he was still sleeping. So he like opens his phone and it's like hundreds of texts and he realizes he got nominated. And he said, I just started screaming and it it scared the white man in the elevator. And the the guy was like, what's going on? What's wrong? And the guy says, nothing, nothing. You know, I just got nominated for an Oscar. And and the guy asks him, what movie? He goes, who cares? And they just start <laughs> hugging each other, right? And this like pure joy. And he's yeah. reflecting on that moment. And he says, you know. That moment is very been... important, by the way, as a metaphor. My God. You want the <laughs> you metaphor know, of like, the white man thinking you're crazy until he finds out that you are nominated for an Oscar now he's hugging you. Yeah, well, I don't know if he was thought he was crazy or if he was just scared. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can things. only imagine I only imagine. I would have thought he was crazy. To be fair, I would have thought he was crazy too. Screaming in the I elevator. I mean, so anybody. I don't care what yeah. color you, you start screaming in an elevator. I'm like, what the? You know. <laughs> so he all he said. You know, it's it's been years of eating ramen, right? Years of taking the bus, and mm-hmm. years of this sacrifice, and now to be at this place, you know, this is going to write my ticket. Like, I'm not going to have to make such a sacrifice. Like, this just gives me a stamp of validation, and it's like. Should we be giving any one thing that much weight, that much power? That we, that sounds a little. Well, that's why the word "should" is my least favorite word in the English language because a lot of things shouldn't happen and still are. We mm-hmm. shouldn't, but it, but we also shouldn't, you know, have people have value based on pieces of paper with faces on them, i.e., money. And yeah, I think to me, in a perfect world, the Oscars wouldn't matter but i think i i don't have the, the luxury of pretending that, like they don't matter no no I, they absolutely do i hear you it's just a little insane to me how much because they they weren't that when they first came out right people went in regular they attended in regular clothes they went and got their little awards i mean it has 
culturally grown in significance over time. It didn't even start out that way. And it's, it, I just, I wonder, you know, have, have we gone too far? Have we given this too much power? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't, you know, it might be Pandora's box, you know, we might yeah. not be able to take this back, but. I think it's... the reason why it got more opulent too was to signal, um, it's like a class system. I do think there's, being in LA has made me rather there's a class system here. And when you are nominated for something, you immediately step up. And if you win mm-hmm. something, you're at the top of the mountain and it gives you a shortcut. And I think that in the same way that we might sometimes make fun of Nepple Babies, who haven't done the work, um, but somehow still get access to things. A lot of people who are used to getting Oscars, who get Oscars because they come from a family that's part of the ecosystem or they they have a good mm-hmm. agent and a good machine. We hear that all the time. My, my machine got me an Oscar, whatever. Those folks take a shortcut. My thing is I'm not opposed to my folks getting that shortcut because we actually paid for our shit in advance. Mm-hmm. Any person of color who comes out the gate and an Oscar help, helps them catapult to the front of the line. My thing is we've been at the back of the line unnecessarily for so long I to me that's reparations yeah I'm one of the the ilk of I think it's bullshit that the system exists but if it can create some kind of equity for my people sign us up and give us our things so we can feed our families and so I'm, I'm in this weird and people always say well let's build our own stuff why do we have to choose I want your stuff that you owe me for 400 years and my stuff. <laughs> yeah why do I have to yeah. choose between my stuff and your stuff I, I technically could have it all so I think for me, it's silly, but it's also kind of how people feed themselves. I wonder, though, how the Oscars feels about women, because I realized, and this is what I was talking about, how Oscars made me upset. I watched the the, the band, she's in a Sharon. Um, I watched uh, Woman Talking. Mm-hmm. I watched um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, I watched a lot of goddamn movies, to be honest. And it's mostly because, <laughs> shout out to Delta and the flights. A lot of those films were on my Delta flights. And so I was going cross country a lot. So I watched them for free. Mm-hmm. And one of the, oh, hold on for a quick second. I just realized that my um, laptop needs to be charged. Hold on, let me hit pause. Okay, we're back. That intermission was perfectly timed. Uh, note to self, always plug in your device when you're taping anything. Um, but when I watched all those films, the thing that struck me was how humanizing the Oscars is to white people in their movies. Mm -hmm. have a quiet movie about two men who stop being friends and the pain they feel about a friendship loss in the foothills of dublin oh my god it's amazing it's so human right you could have a bunch of white women in a barn talking for two hours oh my god it's so human right i feel like if they tried to make an indigenous like like taino version of women talking they would have had to like get a head cut off Somebody would have had to show the rape in, in, in graphic detail. Sparklers would have had to be coming out of their booty holes. Like It's got to be the slavery movie. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> white humanity yeah. is so celebrated by these people. And my thing is, nothing else happened 
but that people of color could just be human without the the frills even mm-hmm. everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. that movie is like a clusterfuck of of like lights and like that's a spectacular movie that movie is a cornucopia mm-hmm. of content they yeah. have to do all of that yeah <laughs> shuck and jive Yep. the kitchen sink for everything <laughs> even the title we're gonna make a movie about everything everywhere all at once give us right. our thing right yeah and so yep. the fact that people of color yep. queer people immigrants have to give you everything everywhere all at once just to be sharing space with an irish dude going to the pub for two hours mm-hmm. yeah it, what i'm trying to say is I realize that the word woman when it comes to the Oscars is singular from the women of color. Woman, the white is silent. That movie somebody wrote on Twitter should have been called White Women Talking. Because I realized that to the Oscars, once you're black, you're not a woman anymore, you're black. Once you're you're Asian, you're the Asian person. Once you're Mm -hmm. Latin, then you're the spicy Latina that we're going to show in these three Mm -hmm. different ways. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. When they say something as simple as women, they mean white women. And I think mm-hmm. I, I think Carla actually responded because I was like, you, you guys, is anybody else watching this movie and feeling like, wow, it was beautifully written, it was beautifully acted, and it was very white. And it was allowed yep. to be that simple because of its whiteness. And Carla was like, yeah, I thought that too. It's a gorgeous movie, but I got it. I got it. And mm-hmm. so it almost feels like, do you ever think there'll be a time where women and women of color will all be encapsulated as far as getting awards because i feel like the the the, what is it michelle yo or yao how do you pronounce Mm -hmm. her last name is it yo child we're gonna apologize to the asian community that we do not know how to phonetically say her last name michelle we just gonna hop her our good sis michelle when Mm -hmm. michelle Mm -hmm. won i love that even though it was clearly meant to be an asian win she shouted out women right and she shouted out older women thank you like, don't let them make you feel like yep. you are past your prime. And I don't know when she said that. It felt like a, it hit me between the eyes. Like, oh man, you used to be a Bond girl. Now you're in your your past forty. Oh, I can just imagine what it must feel like for you to be on this stage right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's going to be a time where starlets don't have to be uh, babies? <laughs> so the look on your you face, Lola. You were like, oh, honey. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Um, I was actually listening to a like a financial podcast. I don't know if you heard of the Earn Your Leisure guys. We've all heard of Earn Your Leisure. What are your thoughts about them? I have very complicated feelings about them. I, I too have complicated thoughts, but they in, in a recent episode said something that I think is right on that applies here as well. And it's that um, businesses tend to do better the younger they skew. Mm-hmm. that's true right and and it makes sense um you know because things like i don't know soda for example like kids drink soda you know movies you you want you know culture you want those things to skew young um because their those are the lifespan. people their whole lifespan so i i think that there's just a like a broader you know social cultural issue around youth that I think it's just in everything and, and, and you can't escape it. So I, I think that that the same thing is playing out here. Mm. Um, but to your question about, you know, whether, you know, what, 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 
what commonalities we have as women, regardless of, of what color you are, whether that's ever going to like take center stage. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you, because I, I agree with you that when, when, you know, like women talking, for example, they did mean white women talking and these movies that are about smaller, more intimate moments they tend to be about white people because white is the standard, right? White, white is the benchmark. White is everything. And we are extra. We are different. And so That's anything that we put forward has to be extra or different. And I don't know that that's on purpose, right? I don't know that anyone today decided that, but it's just, it's everywhere. It's in the culture. And so it becomes the default without people thinking. I, I, know I part of me is skeptical because... It'd be one thing if women talking was only about white Amish women, but whenever mm-hmm. a white woman film comes out, we are all expected as other women to be inspired, champion, and kind mm-hmm. of shouted out as a symbol for all of us. Like white women mm-hmm. are supposed to represent all of us, even when they don't. And so I think that's where I get annoyed of, oh my God, women talking was a, was a, was a, a bastion of feminist, th- whatever. I guess, but like they're Amish. So even just the fact that they're Amish, I'm like, well, that's never going to speak for me because yeah, you Amish culture is eight, uh, Amish women so, speak for the plight of all women. You, y'all got some nerve. That's why I think I got upset. I was like, now hold on. <laughs> if I told you Baps was a feminist, a uh, fucking right, victory, right, you would have all called me everything but a child of God. But because it's women talking, I'm supposed to each no, no, no. Baps is no more, cliche, more niche than Amish women in a barn. So I just think that there's a that's, that's the word there's a niche that is allowed to happen with those films that I would love yes. for us to be afforded. If everybody got to have little slice of life quiet movies be validated yeah. in that way, I'd be like, look at us being human. The show's called Humanized. That's right, my branding. Right. But it's like everything, everywhere, all at once, and some white folks in a bar or in a barn. Those were the, those were the nominees for best film. Like I'm not being hyperbolic if you look at the best films it was yeah, people yeah. of color and gays doing cartwheels and white folks sitting on the couch in a barn or at a bar so it's like yeah think about the optics of that like what you're saying to that mm-hmm. and my heart aches for the asian community because they had a beautiful night and you know I, for some reason i've become an asian ally and this is people always shocked me to hear that because um i had a friend named jason yoon and when we were working together it was right before i started working with you guys um at college summit he was korean and I was the only black girl in the office at the time. And mm-hmm. our favorite coworker was Hannah. And she had long hair like Angela Bassett. And our boss look, was a former actor who looked kind of Brad Pittish. Like him and Brad Pitt could have been play cousins. And so mm-hmm. when we would have meetings, they'd be like, why do y'all look like Zahara and Maddox and Brad and Angelina? Like it became a joke that we look like Angelina <laughs> and Brad with their grown up children. Yeah, yeah. And that joke kind of became real life because he became like a brother to me. And I would talk to him about films because, you know, I love that's a love language for me to talk mm-hmm. about art. And one day I saw Cloud Atlas and I, I loved that movie when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, it was so good. Halle Berry, time travel was so amazing. And he just stared at me and you could tell that he was counting backwards. He said, blue, they had white people with their eyes taped shut to be Korean and to be Asian. I said, what? He said, go watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of people who are not Asian in yellow face. And I was like, oh, oh my God. And mm-hmm. I remember how ashamed I felt in that moment because I, through my lens, was not thinking about how deeply offensive that movie was to Asian people because I because I had the luxury not to right and mm-hmm. in that moment sometimes shame can be a good thing if it makes you pivot towards a place of accountability 
Mm-hmm. And I pivoted to a place of, then I started becoming really cognizant of Asian people and how they were being portrayed. And I was like, oh my God, Asian men are like black women. They're seen as undesirable. Like they're seen as super feminine and we're seen mm-hmm. as hyper-masculine. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. there's almost a spicy Latina somewhere in the middle. Like you guys actually in your own way completely get it. And I kind of found myself naturally becoming an Asian ally and finding out about mm-hmm. the model minority and such. Last night, Asians won so much. And yet when Natsu Natsu had the performance, allegedly, they're still fact-checking it, that a single Southeast Asian person was on that stage performing. Stop it. Yeah. Not a single one. Uh, yeah. And if you go back and look at it, you see white people, you see some swirly people who could be Middle Eastern or something, five other things. Yeah, are are we sure? White- that the- yeah, wow. Because, wow. And, and also, the T is a bunch of Southeast Asian people auditioned and came forward and said, we didn't get it, but why did somebody named Lauren Gottlieb get it? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'd rather hire people that I know and only hired a bunch of people from America, um, so you think you can dance. Mm, I know one of the Asia Alex Wong. I follow him on Instagram. I I think he was perhaps in it, and so you think he can? Wow, they're they're that saying be... that they did not have a Southeast Asian. They wanted a. People were saying, why not use this moment to have a Southeast Asian choreographer yeah. and open yeah. up the marketplace for them? They were like, oh, we're gonna pick Lauren instead. And then when it was time to at mm-hmm. least have them dancing, a bunch of Southeast Asian people were kind of turned away just for the comfort and familiarity of a bunch of people who have danced on So You Think You Can Dance. Right. In that moment, your comfort should not have been the priority. Right. Well, you know, it's, so I think what I, what I walked into it saying to myself was be open-minded and don't expect them to get this perfectly right the first time. Because what I, what I saw was, an organization, right? The Academy trying. Yeah. I, I do think that they recognize that, yes, it is overly white. They do they do see it. They can't help to tr- writing about it. Oscar so white and all the other stuff. They have yeah, they, they, I think they do get it. Um, they certainly don't understand the impact of it, the gravity of it. They're, they are very beginning, right? This is the training wheels, if that. And so I... I do give them a little bit of grace. I'm not saying, ah, oh, you know, but I mean, that was a huge miss. Like, really? Come, well, come how on many now. years ago was Oscar? Come on now. Flight? How many years ago was Oscar? Eight, it was eight years ago. It was eight I'm years ago. I'm not giving you grace when you can't do something basic as casting, right? Eight no, years no, ago. no. I, I feel you. I feel you. I, I'm just saying that I walked into it not expecting them to, to get realistic. it perfectly right because I yeah. knew they were going to miss that huge miss. But in the countdown to the Oscars, they, you know, they were, like I said, they were doing all those retrospectives and they mentioned, oh gosh, please forgive me. I think his name is John Huang. He was one of, he's like the yes. older actor in everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once. And he I love said, that movie, by the way. I love that movie. He, ooh, it, 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 I haven't seen it. It looks real quirky. <laughs> no, it's, it's like an acid trip. So again, yeah. I'm on a Delta flight. So this is me back on Delta. I had eaten it edible and I was like, oh, this is fun. So I'm not sure what it's like not in the sky under the influence. Yeah. It's a fever dream. It's basically a fever dream on, 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 on stage. Good Lord. Good Lord. But, you know, he, his first movie, what is it? I wrote it down here. He says, um, they interviewed him and he was talking about white people, you know, being put in, in yellow face. Um, mm. And his, 
it back in like the Charlie Chan days, right? So this is much older Hollywood. This must have been what, 40s, 50s, something like that. His first movie was uh, 24 years after the Exclusion Act. Oh, wow. Educate I mean, we are not that... Like, educate the audience because, because it comes to my like blue whenever you talk you you and your friends use big words and all these terms that we don't so explain to the audience so they completely understand the I think impact of what you're saying people really need to get that we are not that far out from things like the civil rights act right 1964 was not that long ago really you know 1954 brown v board of education was not that long ago mm-hmm. right like People of color, Black people, Asian people, right? Latino people who were sent back to Mexico, even though they were born here. This mm-hmm. was not that long ago. There are still people who are alive today, right? Who were directly impacted by those things. So I get like, you know, people born in like the 90s and 2000s are like, yeah, man, let's go. There's a whole context that we are still living in, right? That that very much impacts today. So the Exclusion Act, like Asian Americans, like could not physically be in certain locations. Some, you know, they were, they were imprisoned. Mm -hmm. There were, there were concentration camps here in the United States, right? Where Asians were put behind barbed wire fences. This is not that long ago, right? So it makes me sad about when they like when they tried to make it right. They only tried to make it right for economic reasons because they needed help from China, and they were like, "Oh, we actually have to be nice to the Asians because you know we need some help from them." And, and then even then, they only chose the best of the best. So they were picking out and handpicking which Asians could come to this country and add value because being human is not enough. Which is why right. we now have that stereotype that all Asians are brilliant. No, only the brilliant ones were allowed in the country. Asian people are people. They're not this weird model minority that they're all mathematicians. Like I loved when um, the Bryans, are they called the Bryans? The the, the Bryans who won for- The Daniels, the Daniels. Daniels, There we go. When the Daniels won for best director, the Asian one said to his son, you don't have to live up to this. Getting an Oscar is a wild Mm -hmm. thing. You are Mm -hmm. okay. I was Mm -hmm. so happy when he said that. Because part of the fallback of the model minority thing that happened when you had to be exceptional to be in a, to be Asian in this country is that a regular Asian person who might might want to just work at the bank needs to be or human be an artist or right? be an artist and not get an Oscar ever like his dad. Mm-hmm. We need to make room for them too. And so mm-hmm. I think in the same way that my friends and I have started saying over the last couple of years, black excellence is a trauma response. Asian excellence mm-hmm. is a trauma response. And him saying that to his son when he won. Ugh. It made yeah, me no, it was heartfelt. And also to his partner, the other Daniel was like, Yeah, I wear drag. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not it's a threat to no one, he said. Yes, the children will not be messed up in the head because I wear drag. They might be messed up because their parents are bigots. If we want to talk about messing up children. And so I just think about two boys who met in Boston in college getting that award as besties. And it, my mind straight, went straight back to Ben Affleck and Matt Damon because that was the last mm-hmm. time I saw two Boston boys get yeah. up and win the Oscar together. Yeah. That's a very different kind of uh, duo, right? Because I love Ben and Matt, but they are super, super, super Boston. I feel like anybody who's ever been to Massachusetts knows what that means. Um, it's uh, Ben Affleck. Some of them, one of them's a little problematic too, like heavily ben affleck found out on one of those shows you know those like trace your ancestors he found out that his family mm-hmm. owned mad slaves and basically threatened them and made them cut out that part 
And then when the show was audited, they found out that he had made them cut it off, which compromised the integrity of the show. And PBS suspended the show because of him. You're you're so fragile that you can't even admit that 400 years ago, your family owned slaves. You are a rich white man from Boston. Nobody's going to be gasping, clutching their pearls about this, sir. And so yeah. to see it go from those two pure white boys to, uh, uh, I want to say queer, because I don't know the other Daniel's choices just because he wears drag, but someone yeah. who's queer and someone who's Asian and immigrant winning as the next duo from Boston. Mm-hmm. My heart was happy. My heart was really, mm-hmm. really happy, but not in a tokenism kind of way. Because I actually think tokenism is as harmful as exceptionalism, right? Because in each mm-hmm. case, you're not a human being. Um, is there someone who, I want to pivot real quick, in the performances, speaking of folks who deserve the flowers and them, some who I have questions about, which performance was your favorite? I'm going to be controversial. And which was your least favorite and why? Because I have strong thoughts about my water. Yeah, we're about to get a little messy. Let's get human. Okay. So I didn't, I did not watch all of them. Um, I, I, I watched a chunk and I would say, oh, this is hard. I, I do have a heart for, um, what's his name in the, the, the Banshees of Inishun was Brendan Gleeson. I do have a, I do have a soft spot him in general because uh do you remember him from uh 28 days later the zombie movie yes, i do actually i mean just i have a soft spot for the irish in general i know i talk all this shit about like white supremacy but i'm still from Boston, <laughs> so i do have a soft spot for the irish well i mean talk about a group of people that have been historically discriminated against the joke right? like, to be that the irish were the blacks of the whites I, I didn't want to say it, but like, I'll say there it. is, there is some truth to it. Like, so I do have a, a little bit of a soft spot for the fact that they more closely than most white people understand some of the stuff that we've been through in their, their own way. Um, yeah. so the soft spot aside, what was your performance that you were like, okay, no, this was, this was probably my favorite thing that I've seen musically, um, during the show. Musically? Musically, not performance as far as acting, but musically. Oh, you mean like the musical performances? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and by the way, the benches of Inishirin, even though I use that as an example of white mediocrity being celebrated, it was very human. I thought it was a beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. The story it was telling. I just yeah. I couldn't tell a story that quiet and get my things. Um, I think for me, I I liked Rihanna's performance. Um, of what is it? Lift me up. Yeah. Because of just because he died and and like that's what for me that's what the song is about it's about chadwick right and his loss and what that meant and just the weight that the the film kind of carried the because of that um so that i i would pick that um what was the musical performance the one where diane warren was playing the piano oh yeah i I wrote it down i had questions and concerns about that I, i thought that was Sophia Carson singing applause for the movie Tell It Like a Tell It Like a Woman. And I put somebody needs to explain to her how to enunciate while singing. That was my notes for <laughs> she was singing like a female Bob Dylan. I was like, what is she saying? Yes, yeah, it was to all it, my it women felt, dedicated to you. And I said, What exactly are you dedicating to us? Repeat that. It felt a little over the top, and then I just didn't love the song. And I I, I just I hate to say it, it felt self-impressed. Yeah, felt that she thought she was congratulatory. Yeah, it was so self-impressed 
from the way she came on and two seconds in, you guys, 1,400 time nominated songwriter Diane Warren. And then she starts saying, hey, women, I love you. We're all women. We're victorious. And her voice and her vocals didn't match the, I was a little embarrassed for her. I'm not even going to hold you. I was a little embarrassed. Yeah. I, w- it, I would agree. It was a little, it, it, it was a broke man's feel authentic. Yeah. It didn't feel authentic. It felt like a performance. Whereas Rihanna's, it felt authentic to me. If Rihanna's not going to give you nothing else, she's going to give you authenticity. I actually think that Sophia Carlson, am I saying her name right? She was also in that problematic movie, Purple Hearts, where a Trump supporter who hates all liberals uh, needs a health insurance and um, helps some uh, liberal woman, Sophia Carson, who uh, get it, but then they fall in love even though they have a fake marriage. And she recognizes that it's okay to like fall in love with a bigot. It was a lot. Again, it's called Purple Hearts because she's red. He's no, she's blue. He's red, and he's in the army. Get it? Purple Hearts because red and blue make purple. Well, does does she understand that like the Republicans aren't aren't for health care? They they're all about you. You go pay for your own. Is that? Yeah, not- and I think I think she's Latina too. So I was like, sis, this is several reasons why yeah. we need to sit you down. And I know you're digmatized by this sexy white man, but like, and my thing. He was hot. Latinos so. are not a block. Latinos are not a block. Oh, let me tell you. You go to Florida, you get your feelings hurt. Because <laughs> I don't know what those Latino Floridians are thinking about, but... They scare me. They do not empathize with the broader Latino experience. They want everyone to th- see them as white first and Latino as like an ethnic sprinkle like a little bit of seasoning salt, <laughs> a little adobo <laughs> on, on there. Well, it's not even them. Have you seen some of the Texas Latino Republicans? Like Texas has always scared me. I mind my business when it comes to Texas. I mind <laughs> my goddamn business. I know what, what I have the bandwidth for. For me, I actually agree with you. My favorite was Rihanna, not because of her vocals, but because of how emotional yep. it was. Here's the thing about Rihanna. Whatever she lacks in vocals, she'll make up for an authenticity and emotion. Yep. Also, she had to be my favorite because... Her baby has been on the cover of Vogue, performed at the Super Bowl, and from the Oscars all in the last like month. <laughs> baby is coming. That that can we give awards to embryos? Can an Oscar go to an embryo? Can we do that? Is that, is that allowed? Like, but how do you do all that when you're that pregnant? Because isn't pregnancy like kind of exhausting? And and mind you, every time she performs, she doesn't want to be on the floor like a regular pregnant lady. Right. She, she like hoist me into the sky hoist me and my unborn child <laughs> into the sky cover me in diamonds and just point me at a camera and i'm like sis i couldn't get, get up there not pregnant so rihanna's and her baby i think had the best uh oscars performance yeah my least favorite was sophia and also even though i was rooting for everything everywhere all at once they had a performance it was weird it, it was a little weird i didn't need the hot dog fingers it was hot dog fingers. It was a, a, a cat on acid. Lots of... It must be nice to be able to be that weird and still get things. If, honestly, it must be so... And I feel like David Byrne is is past his prime. I think he thinks he's past his prime. He showed up like he was like, oh, I got to do this real quick before I call you back. And it just it just lacked a lot of uh, energy. Yeah. So I almost was like, is this theater, is he pretending that he doesn't care? Does he just really not care? <laughs> Now, the mezzanine level for me, for those of you who don't know, mezzanine is the middle level. The one who wasn't my favorite, but technically was good, but it wasn't my least favorite, but technically was like, girl, what are you are you doing? Stephanie, also known as Lady Gaga. That was interesting. 
Does Chapstick owe her money? Like, why was her mouth like that? Like, it was just very blank makeup, chapped lips, old clothes from the from the hamper. Like, it looked like she was in the same way of Sophia trying to be CND, Celine Dion and Beyonce. She was going too far in the other direction, trying to like, look at me, I'm keeping it real. I'm a rustic artiste who didn't even change my underwear for the Oscars. And I was just like, you do this a lot, Stephanie. You do this a lot. Well, I I do feel like it was an intentional artistic choice, right? She wanted to be stripped down. She wanted to be bare. And that was that was part of what she was the energy that she was trying to convey in the song. Now, now, whether it struck a note with you or fell flat is another matter. But I think that's where she was going. Gaga pantomimes poor or she pantomimes down to earth in the way like it's almost like performative like down to earthness to me and I would actually respect her she, like, she was like look I'm rich and I like luxurious outlandish things let's go like that's her at her, her most authentic when she's I totally trying, agree when she's trying to be down to earth it actually feels like drag to me it it feels like a constructed authenticity which is a complete oxymoron but yeah yeah like if you have to wear authenticity as a costume it's not you then it's not authentic yeah it's- it's true. It's, give you? give me the meat dress, girl. Just give me the meat. That's dress. really you. If she had come out like if she had been hoisted in the air like Rihanna, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, with hot dog fingers mm-hmm. and a psychedelic cat, I'm like, yeah, that's giving Gaga. I feel you, but yep. like, yep. I just feel like you can wear lip gloss, sis. You don't have to have chap lips and dirty jeans to tell us that you're real. And she's very talented, so it's one of those things of like, I rolled my eyes and groaned, but I also clapped because she's always going to be technically good because she's fucking talented. Mm-hmm. It's just that I wish she had just. Let me stop nipping. Gaga. Gaga takes herself seriously. And I, I, I sometimes just wish that she was more in on the joke. Which is yeah. why I love her best on Drag Race. When she's in things that are kitsch and supposed to be camp, to yep. me, she's at her best. Because now she's in on the joke. Yeah. Last I feel night, like I think that's how her funny. albums go. But I feel like that's how her albums go, too. Her best albums are when she's just out there and, like, what am I? I'm this like androgynous human being and I'm weird and I'm kitschy. Like those are her best albums. Like it's like she feels freer. I think weirdos like giving themselves permission to be weird is always going to be inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think too that Gaga is at the place now. Do you know her origin story about how when she was younger, she told everybody that she wanted to be rich and famous. I love I love that she was- And pretty- people made fun of her. People created a Facebook group about her. Yeah, that's rough. Like- so I get the middle finger to y'all. Like, look at y'all. Y'all got me wrong because I knew all along. I get it. I just, I think when I see her being performatively authentic, it feels unhealed to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I kind of grown because a healed person wouldn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. They'd be like, here I am in my outfit. Now, speaking about outfits, like that segue. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> your outfit. <laughs> Mind you, the thing about me, that's a good segue. I have to sit in it for a second. Like, did y'all hear that? That's amazing. <laughs> so like, for the outfits. Oh, did you see the outfit? So much white. So much so, white. So many things. I will say, what was your best dress? Let's start with the positive first before we start dragging. What was your best dress, um, oh. uh, male and or female or ma- uh, man or woman? I don't know. What, how do we say it? Man identified, women identified, humans or non-binaries. What was your best dress outfits? I'm just going to pick best dress regardless of who. I I did love. So look. Oh, here we go. I, I, Idris Elba can wear a paper bag. Yes. And Ooh. it looks refined. It looks exquisite. You know? I, I'm getting tingly. <laughs> Sabrina, I'm, be blessed. 
be blessed because he looked like his neck smelled good. Like he just looked like he was a very well-groomed, highly moisturized. Right. With his sable labs. It was was nice. (laughs) Skincare. (laughs) People who are listening are going to be like, wait, it was so smart. And then he's off that Idris and y'all turn into hoes. No, Idris Elba. He was looking like a snack last. And his wife, best couple. I'll give him a couple so I'm not disrespectful. Yes. Yes. Bring it yes. on who she got. I mean, she was wearing an elegant jewel green color. Like it, it was beautiful, truly beautiful. Yeah, no, um, no, he looked amazing. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I'm trying to look so at that. That's anybody else that I like aside from me. Oh, how about um, Lenny Kravitz? How do we feel about his uh, gender bending silky ensemble? Look, Lenny came in rock and roll. I loved it. I loved the deep V. Right. What the? I just, it, it just gave rock and roll. Like, okay. So you look, liked Gaga, it too. I was like, is it just me? Take, take a page. No, take a page from Lenny Gaga. Like, look, Lenny has been himself this whole time. You know exactly what you're getting with Lenny. Do, do that. That outfit was gender neutral. I, I think that outfit would look good on me or him. Like, it would look good on you. Like, Lenny's outfit was giving gender neutral, like, rock star. Um, I, I loved it. Him. You know what's so funny? I also, I despite, despite how inconsiderate it was, like Tem's dress, her white latte whipped cream outfit, Tem's, the singer. Ooh. It was a singer named Tem's. They were joking because her outfit had like a white, look up Tem's Oscar outfit. And mm. it, it had like a big headdress that looked like the top of, of a really expensive frappuccino. And so mm-hmm. everybody's sitting beside her, behind her. You can see them, their heads cocked to the left or the right, trying to look around her. <laughs> So it was inconsiderate as hell, okay? Very rude, but gorgeous. It was rude and gorgeous. And what's funny is I loved Lenny and Thames' outfits. And I was like, oh, snap. They look like a very modern top of the wedding cake. Her and her Mm. white, swooshy, frappe dress. And him and his gender-bending, like, non-binary, like, open-tittied, like, pants (laughs) jumper. (laughs) Oh, her. I loved her outfit. What's wrong with it? I love the hat. Yeah, but imagine sitting behind the hat. It's still fair. Very if you fair. look at Tem's outfit on Twitter, you'll see pictures of people looking to le- like cocking their heads around her armpit, trying to see the stage. And someone said it looks like a beautiful, like fluffy waterfall. There look, we go. if I'm going to the Oscars, it's probably going to be the one time I go. If you think I'm not going to wear an outfit like this, you're out of your goddamn mind. Well, everybody behind you, be damned. <laughs> it's my moment. Well, you know what? I will say she was also nominated because she wrote, she co-wrote Lift Me Up. So, my moment. Let me live it. If I'm going to be at the Oscars and Rihanna is singing my song, y'all going to have to just eat dirt and look around under my armpit to see people. And you know what's so crazy too is when I thought about my least favorite, it was also a couple. Uh, Russell Westbrook, I don't know if you saw, but him and his wife wore these, these ill-conceived uh, short sets Oh God. And I, I just, I didn't know what was happening. I was very displeased. Oh. The, the, the hems were doing weird things. If you, for those who were listening, um, this is your moment to look up what's Russell Westbrook and his wife at the Oscars 2023. It was off. Also, um, oh, oh, yeah. Like, what is that? It looks like a British schoolboy, but why is her thing like a half and half black and white? There's so much going. So think about this though. Same color palette, same materials for her their outfits versus Thames and Lenny Kravitz. It's almost like one is a, one is how you do it right and how you do it wrong. If you put them next right. to each other, mm-hmm. then Idris and his wife are just ethereal. I um, I yeah, I think you can just kind of 
take yourself too seriously. And this would be that example for me of when you take yourself too seriously. Like I'm going to wear a tuxedo short outfit. A tuxedo short outfit with different hems and half is white and half is black and the other is like, and also different socks. Yeah. You see, even the like, it was distracting. I I stared at that picture for about five minutes. Like, yeah. I hope they picked it out for themselves because if they didn't, they have to fire whoever did that. Also, um, Kate Hudson looked like she mm-hmm. had bought an old prom dress from the back of the closet and forgot to got it tailored. <laughs> and so that was upsetting. <laughs> um, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we all I got do. old dresses I that do. we didn't get. Ta- We're like, oh, this was cute back in the day. Why does it look like this now? Yeah. Um, also, one yeah. of the outfits that I liked but i felt like i should have loved and i can't figure out why i only loved it liked it and not loved it i liked very much janelle monet's orange and black ensemble conceptually the orange against her skin was beautiful Mm -hmm. but there was Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. that stopped me from being in love with it i think the cut on the side it hit her at the wrong parts of her body and it was not flattering yeah i I agree with you it was great in concept but like the execution was off the tailoring wasn't right it was giving glamorous, rich Halloween hostess. It was very sort of Halloween costume, um, but it was also trying to do this like geometric type of thing as well. And it, it just didn't fit her body. It made her look bigger than she is. I was like, oh. It did. Whoever told you this was flattering was lying to you. And I have run into her drunk in several, ba- like, well, I was drunk, not her. We've been at parties. You know how when you're in the ladies' room? For some reason, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, go, I go to a day party in LA. I end up drunk and staring at Jelamone in the bathroom when mirror. Like, oh, <laughs> and she's very uh-huh. little, very yeah. little. You could not tell from that dress. Also, I thought about it proportion wise. I want to see what that dress was supposed to look like because I'm having a hard time seeing anybody looking good in the way that it was cut. So I'm not yeah. sure it was her. It might have been a design flaw with the designer itself because I want to see who doesn't look good on. I think. Because uh, I'm looking at it right now. I think what the problem is, is that the bustier part of it, it's very tight and it goes down too low. So it creates a little roll. Yeah. It's just, and it should have just ended right here at a rib case. Like, because if you're going to bear the skin, bear the skin. And so just cut it off. You know, Monet fans, because a lot of people who are, who listen to the show are Monet fans. This is not about Janelle Monet. It's about the outfit. And I need y'all to be able to separate those two. She was stunning. And the orange against her skin was stunning. Absolutely. I just was not in love with the outfit the way that I was supposed to. Question, if you were, not if, but when you go to the Oscars, we can manifest things. <laughs> I'm going to go with you. I actually, honestly, I would take you. If I was not sleeping with somebody who had me a little cross-eyed, I'd probably want to take a good girlfriend who I knew would appreciate it. <laughs> but no, come back to come to Oscars. We could do a real show on, on the red carpet. Oh, man. What would you wear? What would be our outfits? Oh, my God. Right. I don't know, but I'm telling you, if you think I work out hard now, I would work out even harder and I would be like yes. as close to naked as humanly possible. I'm going to live my moment. As far as I know, we have the one life to live. You're going to show up. So you said you're going to show up in a I'm pushing headdress. 50 and damn it, I look good. That's what my outfit would say. You're pushing what now? I'm pushing 50. I turned 47 in like a week or two. <gasps> but you look yes. good. Well, thank you. I work hard for it. Oh my Which God. is why my outfit would say so. So wait a minute. For anybody who's listening, Lola would wear a Thames crappe headdress and nothing else. It's <laughs> a leaf to the center. She was like, why does you have on a white headdress? <laughs> I wouldn't be like Cher circa 1987 where it's like just the ribbons. I wouldn't do that. Cher was so, that bit. She was that girl though. She was that girl. She huh? was. She could wear it though. 
I mean, can you imagine being able to wear just an outfit that's just two ribbons? Lola, you that's have insane. a similar physique. So why are you pretending to be one of us? That, that's cute. For those of you who can't see, I'm not, Lola, I've seen you many years. Lola has a very similar physique to what Cher was wearing. She's being kind to the rest of us who she knows are going to relate to not being able to wear the outfit. I actually would want to go one or two directions. You know that that old um, movie, Victor Victoria? Where it was yeah. like a man or woman. I'd either want to go mm-hmm. hyper masculine or hyper feminine. Like I'd either want to wear Liza Minnelli. Yeah, like either like a really amazing tuxedo suit that like celebrates my womanhood and has my girls hoisted up to my neck and mm-hmm. look like really smart and dapper, but in a sexy feminine way. Or mm-hmm. just wear something ethereal where I look like I'm about to make it like a Glenda the Good Witch. Like something that makes me look like I'm about to just float over here and kiss yeah. the master on the forehead and give her my own damn Oscar. Like, I don't want to go in either direction. If you're going to go to the Oscars, being in the middle seems weird to me. Like, why be mediocre on a night where you're supposed to f- show your whole ass and flex? And you know who I think is a great choice for a designer for you because he does Ooh, such a good job, such a good job of dressing women's bodies of Christian all Siriano? shapes and sizes, Christian Siriano. Oh my God, I guessed it. Mm-hmm. Look at that. We have fashion telepathy. But look, like he, look at how he dressed Leslie Jones. Christian Siriano, he does the girls right. And he's dressed Melissa McCarthy. Like he's not afraid. He's like, let me take what you are working with and let us make it fabulous. And that's amazing. Was, Lizzo's outfit, there was one outfit that Lizzo had on because I'm usually not a fan of her fashions, even though I love what she stands for, because sometimes she's playing with us, right? And I'm like, girl, I don't mm-hmm. want you to play. I want you to be pretty. Um, but like she wore this outfit one time. I can't remember who it might have been Christian, but I was like, she looks gorgeous. No state probably was. It probably was. And I was like, whoever <laughs> made that dress likes her as a person. You can tell when a designer mm-hmm. likes you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of liking women and not liking women, um, a, a show, a movie, I don't know what to call it, I think it's just trash. Uh, the most offensive film that I've seen in the in the last several years that I could not finish a stomach. Um, was Blonde on Netflix. Um, it was so bad that I walked away convinced the director hates all women. It was Marilyn Manson. Mar- Manson. It should have been Marilyn Manson. Oh. Marilyn Monroe's story mm-hmm. retold through the eyes of rape fantasy and horseshit. Yeah. So yeah. I think Marilyn's real story, Blonde had nothing to do with Marilyn Monroe. Blonde That's was... Right a man's rape fantasy about Marilyn Monroe. He made her fuck people that she had never slept with. He gave her abortions that never happened. He had her mother trying to murder her within the first opening scene. That's some trauma porn. Like everything about that film said, I hate women and they're all dirty sluts who want it. And they'll let me put whatever I want in whatever holes I want. And so to see the actress from that film be nominated, I was almost offended. I was like, girl, it's trash. I'm surprised you showed up. And when she got emotional, when they were describing first-time nominees, they were like, oh, then they said, and mind you, she's a beautiful Latina girl. Girl, Mm -hmm. I don't care if you have an accent. Like, that was trash. What do you think about men telling women's stories? Because Blonde offended me in a way that I have not been offended on behalf of women in a very long time when it comes to art. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it can't be done. Yeah, it can. Um, it it certainly can. And I think it comes down to like what you just said. Do you actually care about the subject matter mm-hmm. versus you want to make a movie? And because those are two different things. They're not always the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're a man and you, you care about the subject matter, you, you, you love 
the the people or whoever the protagonist is. And I, I think you can take you can tell a very careful, well-rounded, good story. Um, but you know, sometimes people just want to make a movie, right? And that's not always done with with care. It's just grotesque. Grotesque is the word, and unfortunately, grotesque is also the word that some people are using to describe whale. Um, the whale that movie mm-hmm. here's where I'm conflicted Brandon Fraser this is where I'm, I'm going to pull up my note back because I really want to get this right as far as the journalistic integrity of this Brandon Fraser mm-hmm. do you know his backstory about what, what, why he disappeared I don't know why he disappeared I loved his movie last night. Great. it was like 3 o'clock in the morning because what happened was for me two weeks no a week ago The View had him on mm-hmm. and I was struck by his appearance because it looked like someone it didn't look like somebody who was just aging normally that's regular it looked like somebody who had been through a lot and had hidden away and who was dusting off the cobwebs and re-emerging and happened to have a performance that was Oscar worthy. And he's like, oh my God, I was just happy to be back at the party. You guys are really celebrating me. And it, like, it was beautiful to watch him yeah. kind of like be appreciative. Yeah. But I was like, oh, something's happened to him. Cause I know what trauma looks like. You know, at the mm-hmm. certain level, you can smell trauma on people. Absolutely. And so when he won, I got that same feeling of, Yo, he needs this win in a very different kind of way. And I was like, okay, what's the story here? Because anybody, you don't have to be a psychic. Anybody who has empathy or compassion can tell that he's getting the standing ovation. He's he's having these tears. His wife is getting choked up in the audience for a reason. So at about two o'clock last night in the morning, <laughs> so technically this morning, I looked up what happened to Brandon Frazier. Let me look past my not to not to notes because the Southeast Asians were mad. So that actually was a thing that I was looking into a lot. Um, Brendan Fraser, the whale, the movie itself was slammed for being fat phobic. We'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. um, Brandon Fraser, after being battered and abused by the industry and blacklisted, this is a tweet somebody wrote after being battered and abused by the industry and blacklisted after, for, for being sexually assaulted, Brandon Fraser finally got the highest honor he could in Hollywood. That's Brandon right. deserves this Oscar and he deserves an apology from so many. So fucking happy for him. And that's when I did some research. I was like, sexually assaulted? I that's know. right. And I was like, wait a minute, this is worse than I thought. In and it was a woman, right? No, it was a man. Was it, a woman? it was a man, but let me tell you what kind of man. It wasn't a regular man. It was like a Howard Weinstein level powerful man. In 2019, in an interview with GQ, Frazier recalled the day that he was inappropriately groped by Philip Burke, who was the former president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Now, anybody who knows oh. how Hollywood works, Hollywood foreign press is are the gatekeepers. If there's anybody that you don't want to F with, it's them, right? Yeah. So their king is who sexually assaulted him. And this is not, I'm not saying allegedly because the man admitted it, but downplayed it. So we don't have to do allegedly for journalistic integrity. He said, yeah, I did it, but I just pissed you a little bit. It wasn't that serious. What Brandon said happened was, his. this is a quote, his left hand reached around grabbed my ass cheek and one of his fingers touched my taint and then he started moving it around so imagine you are a grown man talking to another grown man and he leans leans over grabs your booty cheeks and starts fingering your booty hole without your consent wow that that takes some gall and he said he said i felt ill i felt like a, a little kid I felt like there was a ball in my throat. I thought I was going to cry. Imagine you've done the mummy and seen man, all these films, right? 
You are this heartthrob that everybody's clapping for. Sometimes making jokes because they think you're just pretty. And this man who thinks that you are somebody that can be taken advantage of because you have so much to lose because he's at the height, top, top of the food chain with mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. sexually assaults you. Wow. And then in, his, in, in a book says, I only pinched him. First of all, you pinching a man's ass without consent is still bad. Either way. <laughs> Either way. So he fell into a deep depression because I think when men get sexually assaulted, the part that struck me the most when he said, I felt like a little child. Because people don't really want to talk about it. But when you are assaulted sexually, energetically, physically, you feel in that moment, you don't feel like an, an adult anymore. You feel small, which is the like intent. You can't protect yourself. You can't protect yourself. You feel small. And they made that man feel small. And he fell into such a deep depression. He self-evacuated. like and before he even got blacklisted, he left. He said, I, I, can't, I can't stomach this. Y'all can't sexually assault me just for me to keep my things, right? Mm-hmm. And so him and his family quietly just disappeared. And then he stuck his head back out and he got he did the whale and boom, he gets an Oscar. Now, my feelings around this are complicated because people are saying, I haven't seen the whale. It's one of the few that I haven't seen. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tread lightly with how I talk about this. But fat phobia is real. We know that we don't have to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brandon Fraser wearing a fat suit. And apparently what I'm hearing is the movie was very violent about the way that fat people were supposed to be portrayed and be, be dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And they're saying his performance was beautiful and bittersweet, but the narrative was irresponsible and fat phobic. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you watch somebody make beautiful art in the midst of bullshit? <laughs> Cause I'm going to watch, I have to watch the movie now so I can be educated on it, but I'm not the, the the trailer made me uncomfortable, so I can just imagine what the movie's going to do to me. Yeah, I I and I have to I have to watch the movie as well. I, we have an incredibly problematic conversation, not just around fat, but around looks and aging and color, and like yeah, incredibly problematic. Like it, it's just if you don't fit this mold, there's something wrong with you, right? That's that's generally what the conversation is. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the movie had that because that's our culture. Um, but I do think it's, it's, it's beautiful to have a little bit of redemption, even in something that is problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I didn't walk into this, into this award show expecting perfection, right? I wouldn't walk into a movie like that expecting perfection, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a step forward, not that it's perfect, but, you know, I do think that people are trying to be responsible and I'm just recognizing that we got a fucking far way to go before we're really there. But I do think that they were trying to take a step forward. I'm hearing you talk. I do think that there are people online who expect perfection which is de- dehumanizing because human beings are inherently flawed. So the many well, it's an excuse, right? Yeah. It's an excuse to discount something. It's an excuse to not take action. The minute you per- you, you expect perfection, you dehumanize someone because human beings are quite literally not made to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, so that's the one extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Then there are the apologists who think any accountability is arg- is is being argumentative and contrarian, and they don't want to hear it. So right. they, if it's amazing, who can- like if they had heard the cloud outlets feedback feedback. They wouldn't have become Asian allies. They're like, oh, my friend Yoon just likes to complain. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. folks don't ever want to evolve or expand. Everything, mm-hmm. if it's nice on the shallow level, it's nice and y'all just need to stop complaining. 
I like the middle, you know, because I just like living in the middle. That's what the truth usually is. I think without expecting perfection, the more reasonable alternative is to expect compassion without condescension. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where both the not-to-not-to oversights and the whale lose me because you didn't have to be perfect. You just didn't have to be condescending to fat people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the people who are more in the middle, they would not have joined the extremists who were always going to complain, right? Mm -hmm. And in the same way, if you're not too not to, you didn't have to have every East Asian person in the the world on the stage, but the fact that you didn't even prioritize them in their own shit. Mm -hmm. Problematic. Doesn't have to be perfect perfect at all. Nowhere near perfect. Mm -hmm. Just basic Mm -hmm. non-condescending compassion actually would have been a sweet spot for me where I wouldn't have nitpicked. And so- yeah. I think what ends up happening is people who are contrarians have exhausted the apologists so much that we're all sometimes accidentally falling into the space of forgetting that there's a sweet spot in the middle that's completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. And it's constantly being rushed past, right? Like right. we can't right. get it perfect. So we're going to get a white lady to choreograph it. You can't get it perfect, but you can still censor the group yes. that is being yes. censored. But we can't mm-hmm. get it perfect and the fat is going to get me mad again. Okay, but yeah. you can have to put somebody in a fat suit and don't have to talk about fat people like they're like pieces of shit. Like there's ways to not be perfect, but still Absolutely. hit the target. And so yep. I think for me, what I'm sitting with is somebody who gets so excited about art. And thank you for being such a nerd about all this with me. This is the kind <laughs> of stuff that I can't talk about on first dates because I'll lose. People are like, girl, we cannot talk about films and music for three hours. But I love talking <laughs> about art because to me, art is such a universal entree point into humanity. Because mm-hmm. the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Do you, do you believe that saying, by the way? The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Not even 100%, 1,000%. The I'm way happy. you do one thing is the way you do everything. That's one of my favorite things about you because as someone who's easily misunderstood, people who see you being loud and boisterous can easily put you in a box of loud ghetto girl with the hoop earrings, right? But mm-hmm. I'm like, anybody who watches me is like, I'm always like, killing myself to be thoughtful and figure out things and turn things into a life lesson and be like, if you just watch how I do something small, you can see mm-hmm. my heart. And so That's people right. who recognize that are my people because the ability to misunderstand me is, is much more mitigated. Last night, no, no, let me, yesterday afternoon, I was at brunch and it was an all you can eat brunch. And towards the end, someone gave us some doggy bags. I was like, wait a minute, you get to eat, have doggy bags and all you can eat brunch. This is going somewhere, by the way. Yeah. I go there and I'm realizing I don't want the eggs. I don't want the frittata. I just, I need more produce in my body. Like I just haven't eaten enough vegetables or fruit. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed two bananas and a small piece of chicken and some potatoes. Like I was like, so my friends were like, girl, look at all this food. You just get a banana. I'm like, yeah, I just want some potassium and some protein. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I take the bananas. I put them next to me. A girl who we met at brunch sits next to me and says, oh, can I have a banana? I said, no, I wanted these two very specifically for later. I just did. Like I, I just, there were two immaculate bananas that I wanted one for today and one for tomorrow for breakfast. She's like, okay. Mm-hmm. A half an hour later, we're all talking and kikiing. She reaches down, grabs a banana, says, girl, whatever. I want, I want this fucking banana. And then unpeels it and starts eating it. Oh. And says, and see, it got a little dent in it anyways. It keeps eating it. To her, she thought it was a funny moment. To me, I set a very clear boundary, no LOL, didn't even laugh to make it into a joke. I was like, no, I want my bananas. I want those two. She's like, where'd you get them from? I said, the buffet. 
She's like, well, can you go get me one? I said, no, you can go get you one. They're right there and go check. Not only do I want to keep my things, I'm not going to make like inconvenience myself because you don't want to inconvenience yourself for something. I took care of my needs. And for you to not only discount a boundary, but make mm-hmm. a joke of it. And then mm-hmm. speak as if, if I do complain, I'm difficult now for honoring myself when you dishonored me. This is the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing all over again. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I'm not sure you're emotionally intelligent enough for us to hang out anything pl- more than a light drunk brunch. Mm-hmm. Because I don't feel safe with the way that you respond to boundaries our first time meeting when technically this is supposed to be you at your best, right? Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be the representative phase. I don't have a representative, but I've been told from neurotypical people that y'all have representatives, right? So mm-hmm. if this is supposed to be you having a representative, she's not doing well. Mm-hmm. And that entire night, I was like, y'all, I can't believe she took my fucking That medicine. wasn't her representative. She sh- she showed herself. Now, was I... I can see someone saying, blue, you overreacted about a banana. So I'm not talking about... I don't give a crap about the banana. It's not about the banana. Explain to the audience why it's not about the banana. Because people like people think I, I, I'm crazy sometimes. I'm like, you know what's crazy, though? What is crazy? If we became friends in six months from now, she disrespected mm-hmm. my boundary, what would be the first thing I would say? I knew since the fucking banana, right? That's right. We always downplay those moments of people showing themselves and then later refer back to them. When they show you who they are, believe them. So why, from your vantage point, why is it not about the banana? It has nothing to do with the banana. It could have been a muffin. It could have been whatever. It's the fact that she asked you for something. You said no, you declined. And then she took it anyway. And then dismissed my ability to object. Well, she... She, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not even that she it's, it's like she was saying she didn't care what you said in the first place. Oh, I'm going to take it. Yeah. I don't care. Okay. Well, I'm just going to wait till you're not paying attention and I'm going to take it. It's very childish. Yeah. It's, I, I thought, I thought it was disrespectful and it wasn't just about the banana. Like if you can't respect it's my, not life. at all about the banana. And it's so, so it's so funny to me because I feel like when you're an artist, to bring it back to this point, however you do anything, how you do everything, I think that's why I'm still giving the Oscars the the side eye. Because Mm -hmm. in those quiet, easy moments, you didn't do what was right. You only did what was right when it was the big, loud moment that you would get pressed for. And that's Mm -hmm. why I don't don't currently believe that the Oscars really sincerely get it. They're just hoping that they'll wear us down enough for us to stop bitching. And I think they're in for a rude awakening two, three, four, five years from now when we still have our foots on, our, on their necks. Mm-hmm. No, like, I, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. I think I think they get it on a surface level. They really don't get it on an impact level and why it matters, right? And why yeah. they really do need to transform as an organization. I think they get it just from that very surface level. They want they want higher ratings. At the it's end not of the day. just the banana. It's not just Natu Natu. It's not mm-hmm. just Angela Bassett. It's not just the banana. It's that if you really cared, these mm-hmm. things wouldn't have happened if you sincerely cared. F- forget perfect. These were easy wins that someone who cares would have reached for readily without being asked to. Like, oh my yeah. God, we're doing something with Southeast Asians. Who are the most amazing Southeast Asians in here that we can get to do this and do it right? Yeah. That's the obvious so question. It's, it's, if they really wanted to make this right, it would be, it would be okay we're hearing that people of color don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. 
Yes. Now let's start with that as the objective. If the objective is for people of color, black people, Asian, brown, whomever, mm-hmm. if if the objective is feel seen and feel heard, working backwards, what does that mean? How we have to craft this show from set design, yes. from who staffs this, from seating arrangements, from how how the movies are picked and how they're how they're voted on. Right. How do we then use that objective to dismantle this associate, this organization and what it has produced, you know, in order to achieve this objective? Right. Like it's the same, like in teaching. Right. If I have a learning objective for my students, okay, if I want them to do this, then I just map backwards. Then these are the things that I need to do as a teacher in order to arrive at that destination. Right. It's like a GPS. A GPS needs two points. It needs the end point and it needs the starting point. And I think what they're missing they don't quite get where they're starting and they don't quite get where they need to go. So it's kind of all over the place. They just want us to shut up and be appeased. And I feel like when the sincerity goes all the way to the top, it'll be palpable mm-hmm. and it'll be impossible That's right. to not recognize. That's right. So for those of you who like to complain, y'all are always going to complain anyway, so this show is not for you. For those of you who are hopeful I need you to know that don't let anybody make you feel stupid for recognizing that how you do anything is how you do everything, because that's a life lesson for all of us, right? Like Mm -hmm. the way a friend treats their, their other friends tells me how I'm going to be treated when I'm not in the room, Mm -hmm. which is a painful lesson, by the way, but also we got to turn that into self. Cause I think a lot of time when we have these conversations, whether it's about the Oscars or anything else, um, and because the show is humanized, we always always have to humanize this before we wrap up. I think we're so used to saying stuff like we just said, the way you do anything is the way you do everything to other people. Mm-hmm. Do internalize that for yourself. Because mm-hmm. I know so many folks who will nitpick and be super clear about themes and patterns that they see in other people, but have no issue being self-indulgent when it's their turn. Well, people tend to pick out what they don't like in other people. It's really yes. a reflection of them. And they're just unwilling to to look in the mirror right it, yeah. it's there there's a weird plague i think that many many people have they have this this inability to be truly objective in their self assessment of who they are what they are what they want you know a lot of people it's like they 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 want these things that society tells them they're supposed to want so it's like they turn themselves into knots like wanting those things right and at the end of the day they're not saying hey what do i actually want um that's actually true. You know what's, what's crazy is that like as someone who maybe is atypically introspective just as an occupational hazard, the more introspective you are with yourself, the harder it is for you to judge people because instead of like being judging want to be superior, you're not just curious about new data being mm-hmm. added. You're like, oh, when mm-hmm. I was going through that stuff and unpacking my own shit, this is the conclusion mm-hmm. I came through. Now I'm watching you going through it. I wonder if how you differ or how you're similar. Like it becomes objective data because you've already done the icky work with yourself. So you have no incentive because now you're like, oh, I'm curious. Emotional mm-hmm. intelligence puts you in the space of curiosity. But unfortunately, we're in the space of people rather diagnose than introspect. I rather yes, diagnose absolutely. you as a narcissist. I'd rather call you batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. I'd rather say mm-hmm. you are a hater than just have a moment of introspection. But once you're introspective, Everything gets to be a, a learning experience. My friend Mandy, mm-hmm. she's going to be on the show coming up soon. And we taped her episode recently. And she was like, Lou, you turn everything into a goddamn lesson. 
I was like, yeah, because I'm introspective. When you're introspective, everything is a goddamn lesson. I actually think it's it's lazy thinking for it not to be introspective, right? Yeah. It's convenient. It's really convenient it to think other people are the problem. Other like you know, if you really want to walk through this life and be your best self, the only way that you are going to do that is by understanding who the heck you are. Yes. And stop pretending and stop putting on the blinders. And you might not be who you th- thought you were. That's right. Because I despise when I am put in a position to reflect to somebody that there's somebody that they didn't expect or might not even like. Mm-hmm. And now, mm-hmm. now, now I'm the bad guy. Mm. When you look into a mirror, like, don't get mad at the mirror. Get mad at the reflection. I was just minding my business asking you regular questions yep. that you've mm-hmm. never asked yourself. And now I'm a bitch because I made you mm-hmm. like you might be a narcissist. Like, what? Mm-hmm. So I really, I, I, I really just want to thank you because before I was steeped in the work I'm doing now, you were one of the, the early day ones <laughs> when I was sitting. And it's so funny because you're part of the reason why I, I found out my diagnosis, because when, for those who don't know, Lola lived in this nice luxury high rise. And when I was working on my short film, I needed to make extra money while editing mm-hmm. my film. And Lola was like, they need a front door person. You can lit- and it's a high desk. You can put your laptop down, edit mm-hmm. your stuff, do your RT shit, and get a check for literally just breathing. And I was yep. like, oh, that's easy money. And while I was sitting there, there was a school on the bottom floor, and one of the, the principal actually mm-hmm. of the school, walked up to me after watching me for several days. And she was like, you know, uh, the way that you interacted with that guy, she started asking me questions about an interaction with a-, a Who, group. Colonel Sanders? It was it was somebody who was being interesting with me. I'll just use the word interesting, mm-hmm. be kind. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I've been watching the way that you interact. I was like, yeah, people be tripping. Like, I didn't think it was anything. She was like, are you autistic? And I was like, excuse me? Oh. And I was like, what do you mean? She was, she was like, the way that you interact with people is the way that I'm hoping someday my kids will interact with people. I was like, what are you, what kids? And I found out that she was working with autistic kids who were like a little bit more high functioning. And mm-hmm. I was like, so because I don't get pulled into fuck shit, you think I'm autistic? Lady, this is a, that's a bitch. <laughs> That was my reaction. Like, oh, your arms are too short. You're reaching. And then my my roommate at the time came to pick me up. My roommate, who was a special needs teacher who specialized in autistic kids, mm-hmm. comes to pick me up. And I was like, you won't believe what this lady at the, at the thing said. And she was like, oh, that would explain a lot. I said, now shut the hell up. I, I said, girl, this was supposed to be a joke. Because you work with these people, you're taking it too serious. It would be about eight years before I would actually get diagnosed with being high-functioning autistic. Stop it. No, really? Yes. I have the form of autism formerly called Asperger's, which is what they call the genius version of autism. Like, people think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Asperger, whatever. Mm-hmm, and I found out that mm-hmm. we, we're not allowed to say Asperger's anymore because I guess in, like, not, Nazi concentration camps, the ones with Asperger's were good oh, enough God. to keep, and the other ones oh, had to go. So it's almost like a elitist distinction. So I just say that I have what they formerly called Asperger's, which is high functioning autism, which in white men is often applauded as the startup autism. Like anybody who has a startup, they think that you're going to be, you know, like like Bill Gates or um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. There's all these tech startup gurus who are people yeah. are like, ah, they can't read the room, but they're geniuses. So we just kind of deal with it like. It's very yeah. interesting. And when I found out my diagnosis, they said women of color are the hardest to diagnose because of high, because 
we don't have the luxury to be like, I don't understand what's happening. So we have to figure out how to mask. I know that's right. Mm. I can't just be like, hey, I'm overstimulated. They were like, bitch. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. We have to be incredibly empathetic, incredibly empathetic. Even if your brain is not wired to read the room, if you are a person of color, you better figure it out. You better start to learn micro expressions and read, like find a way to read the room, even if your brain Mm -hmm. doesn't. And so the reason why I've started sharing that with people is because I, now that I know the nuances of people who are highly functioning, have started to recognize how many neurodivergent people are in my circle. Mm. Neurodivergent issues is autism, it's ADHD, it's dyslexia. And so I had a friend recently and I, and I saw him getting flustered. And they say people of color, when they are autistic, uh, dyslexic, or have ADHD, because we don't have the luxury to like fall to pieces, our autism or our depression manifests as irritability. Okay, that makes sense. Because we have to figure it out anyways. But yeah, we're overstimulated yeah. and so we're annoyed. And so I had a friend and he was getting very annoyed about something very simple. And I said, hey, friend, um, are you feeling overstimulated? He said, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm feeling. I said, okay, but moving forward, when you're around me, if that ever happens, rather than fighting for words the way I just watched you fight for words, just say you're overstimulated and that will instinctively tell me to stop. And also I use that word with other people. And when you tell somebody you're overstimulated as an adult, they tend to be like, oh, okay, let me, let me, they go still. Like, let me stop pushing you. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Overstimulated means I don't want to stimulate you anymore. He's like, okay, friend, thank you. I walked away like that mother sucker has ADHD. I was so clear. Mm. I'm not. A, that's not me. My job to tell a 40 year old man that he's neurodivergent and white knuckling it the way I was. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward a month later, we're talking about our childhoods, and I'm talking about my diagnoses because now that I found out, I want to tell everybody because everybody thinks when you're autistic or neurodivergent, you're stupid. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna walk around and think I'm stupid. So I feel like I have the luxury to say it to destigmatize it for people who love me. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And so it's almost like the Obama effect. Obama could walk into a room with white folks and be like, well, Obama's one of the nice blacks. So maybe, you know what I mean? So <laughs> we're, I'm talking about being neurodivergent. And out of nowhere, he's like, yeah, that reminds me when I was a kid, the teachers told me I was I had ADD, but you know, my mother was like, no, he don't. He's smart. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. he tells the story, much like how I used to tell the story, some weird educator was putting some mommy that didn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. But look at me, I'm okay now. Right. Both things can be true. <laughs> it's true. They put, they put something on you that belonged to you and you're okay now because trauma yeah. responses told you that you couldn't be not okay. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to thank you because in so many ways, Lola's <laughs> like, I just want to help you get some passive income. In so many ways, you were part of what started me realizing, oh my God, when I was five and telling people that my brain was different and, and I got dismissed, Five-year-old me was actually smarter than 30-year-old me who'd been convinced that nothing was wrong. And nothing yeah. was wrong, but I am wired differently. So I just yeah. wanted to that, Lola. Aww. You didn't explain well, that, did <laughs> No. So, Blue, you've always, been, you've always been someone who stood out to me as different. And not in, in any sort of way that, that you're oh. describing. But, you know, when we first met at College Summit, girl, you did not belong in that organization. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> and they kept you promoting me so I wouldn't leave. Because you 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 are like a salve for people. Mm. You you make people feel good when they're around you. You put people at ease. You're just you're you you just create this like 
I don't know, you have this aura that I think people want to be around, right? Like you're attractive in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I receive that even to... though that's not how I think of myself. I, I'm, I'm telling myself, don't say something funny, just receive it. I really don't think of myself like that. So that's, that's so weird for me to hear that, but I receive it though. Well, just, just look and look at your group of friends and look at what different circles they tend to run in. Like you happen to be with friends with people who normally would not be friends with one another, but you're friends with a whole different type of people. And I, and I think it's, 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 that's why like you're magnetic. That's what it is. Magnetic. Thank you, friend. Um, You've been long enough for me to receive that without, without any pushback. But you knew I was different, though. And in I, and any I, case, I knew you were different. You I, was like, oh, this, was different. I just knew that I was like, no, 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 you you, you need to go and be free. Like there, there's a there's a like a free spirit in you that is not a fit for a like a nine to five corporate type of role. Like I just knew that that was not for you. And And I knew that you would always have like the writing that you were wanting to just spend more time on. And I was like, well. You can write your script and do whatever here and just be at a front desk and push a button. <laughs> no, and honestly, too, because you're so the you're the kind of person who I feel like if you were in a corporation at all, you'd be the president by the end of the year. So to have someone who knows how to play the game well, judge someone who's supposed to be somewhere outside doing cartwheels in the, in the field. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were talking about... Ed. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you belong on the small bus. Like No, no, not on the small bus, but I'm just saying I am a free, like I really am. You were being polite. You are. Like, You're a free spirit. I'm a free spirit and I, I don't feel any inclination to conform. And so I just be looking at people until they recognize that. And people will try to bully me into conforming. I'll just keep staring at them until they get tired and go back to my cartwheels. And so you represented the archetype that used to judge me. And I was like, well, mm. doesn't judge me. So there was something mm-hmm. feeling that knowing the person who is meant for that structure could still hold space for me where I was like, different doesn't mean bad. Yeah, I think you, your, our friendship taught me that different didn't mean bad because I expected mm. you to judge me and it instead you just kept pouring into me. I was like, oh, maybe she didn't get the memo that I'm weird. Okay. I guess <laughs> no, if it's, if it's one thing I have, I can, I can. I can recognize people's talents and what they bring. I'm very good at that. I can, I can spend a few minutes and I can be like, this is kind of what you're good at and what you need to be doing. So I saw that in you early on, but it's funny. You say that I'm like, you know, I I fit in the corporate structure. I think that would have been true when we first met, but it isn't now. Well, no, it definitely isn't. I actually want you to come back to do an episode about what you're doing, especially with financial stuff. I want to do it in April. Because, honey, your ability to flip a coin is impeccable. I will say, though, that I've watched you evolve. We've evolved as friends. I mean, 16 years is a long time. We better evolve or we're dead on the we've inside. Evolved. When I oh, met God. you, you were so good with structure. And then I mm-hmm. saw you very meticulously break free. Mm-hmm. But you broke free in a type A kind of way. Like, it was all calculated risks. I yep. jumped out of a window and hoped something was waiting for me at the bottom. <laughs> Remember your rent parties? Have you told people about your rent parties? My rent parties were highly lucrative and people love them <laughs> parties, bro. Okay. People are like, well, you have another rent party. I was like, why are y'all wishing poverty on me? They're like, no, they're fun parties. <laughs> so like I was just kind of being reckless and you were being meticulous. And so the fact that we both mm-hmm. figured out how to be okay, mm-hmm. it just shows that when you really see someone's heart, you can make room for them to be completely different from you and still see value in that. 
Oh God, I think in a roundabout way, we just kind of uh, mimicked and showed what the Oscars could be. Wherever I could be mm. different and still be valued. Yeah. Wouldn't it be People amazing? Just wanna, you just have to give space for people to feel seen and heard and understand what that means okay so then how do we construct something where everyone feels seen and heard like that's just the question they have to ask themselves and it's not impossible and it's actually not even more expensive it just requires a different muscle lola we have had a great conversation we went over the time that i expected but i'm so happy you did this this is my first virtual one so i know for a fact when i look at the video you're going to see me just peering into the camera excited to talk to you and not thinking about (laughs) I need to, I get so wrapped into Zoom calls and looking at people. And then mm-hmm. I watch the videos. I'm like, girl, I can see inside your nose hairs. <laughs> I'll leave for like, girl, what you say? And I'm like, it's nothing but my forehead dot showing. But today was fun. And I also love that you came out of Oscars hiatus for me. Because I didn't realize that you had taken a reprieve. Girl, after this year, I might take a break from next year. This might be our first and last Oscar special until somebody sponsors mm-hmm. us. And then me mm-hmm. and Lily wear our aforementioned outfits. Hers would be much If they want to consult with me on how to create an Oscar show that's like, you know, actually good and yeah. I'm, I'm happy to consult. I feel like you actually are built for that. Like you can construct <laughs> it to make it actually culturally competent. And I can do the razzle dazzle shit that'll go viral. <laughs> like, hey guys. No, I think we'd be a good team. Can I can you just yeah. do me a favor and share with everybody who's listening and watching where can mm-hmm. they find you? And mm-hmm. share your social media handles and also any other things that you want to shout out that you're working on. Because I feel like you're always working on a million things. I am always working on a million things. I'm like, because, you know, as Caribbeans, like we have like five jobs. We have to. Me. It's a cultural thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'm Latin. So, you know, like we just, yeah. Um, in any case, it is. But you know what? I I want to change the conversation to not just work hard for money, but have our money work hard for us. Yes. Because rich people, they don't work hard. They don't sell hours of their lives. They're sleeping. They do not. They buy back their time. And that's what I want to do for myself and teach others how to do. So I am Airbnb girl um, on Instagram and on YouTube. So I work my day job and then I also acquire rental properties um and i video on a short-term basis i yep i do videos on youtube showing people the ins and outs and um yeah i just want to help people build wealth well friend um you're gonna i'm gonna have to get have you come back so you can help me build some wealth uh the topics i want to talk to you about are <laughs> what money means for people of color and our relationship to it because i don't think our relationship is always the healthiest mm-hmm. um and even though i do talk about race as a boundary and the ways that it, it affects what we do i always just want to it's people always like how do you have white friends i'm like because my white friends keep it a buck too like we call, we all call a thing a thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. and one of the things that i love about you is you gave yourself permission to have a healthy relationship with money very early on mm-hmm. that i'm not sure was taught to you but that you somehow figured out for yourself mm-hmm. i would like to have that conversation because network poverty mm-hmm. for those of you who are listening who don't understand network poverty it's when you're the rich auntie, you're the rich cousin, you're the one who's making do, making money. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Abuelita, your mama, your cousins, if they need something, you're kind of like their safety net, but then your money isn't just towards you anymore. So mm-hmm. you're filing taxes if you don't have any dependents, but you low-key have your whole family as a dependent. You know what I mean? Yep. And so the conversation around wealth and network poverty is one that I think only women of color can talk about 
in a very nuanced way because we're usually the fallback for so many. It's all about boundaries. It is all about boundaries. Like, and they say like on the airplanes, right? Don't put the mask on someone else before you put it on, on you. Yeah. Then you're both going to be dead. Ooh, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> as always, you guys, uh, you can find Lola at Arab B girl and that's YouTube and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Are you on Twitter yet? Or are you still scared of Twitter? I, I was on Twitter and then I got off because, because my day job is in politics. So I, I just can't be around. Look, I deal with that eight hours a day on my off hours. I'm not going to dealing with that. Actually, actually, I get it. When I had an office job, I, I, if I had an office job or a corporate job or a job that requires structure, Twitter suddenly became overstimulating for me. I don't know what that's mm-hmm. about, but structure and Twitter don't go hand in hand for me personally. Now that I'm podcasting and freelancing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could have Twitter fingers. Lola, when you come back, I think that conversation I'm hoping could be in person. So I don't know if you're ever yeah. coming back to L.A. Mm-hmm. You're from here. So come home. I am. It's home. It's home. I'll I'll go home just for you. Let me know. <laughs> Seriously, we can have drinks afterwards and have a good key key. Okay. So well, can we do it with drinks? Can we drink while we podcast? Is that okay? Yeah, the show is usually involves me taking shots with people. So oh, I usually am <laughs> twisted by now. <laughs> this is the most sober <laughs> I've been at the end of a podcast episode in a very long time. So when you come to LA, come back to your hometown, we'll have a big old bottle of something and we can talk about mm-hmm. money and getting rich together. Uh, thank All you right. so much for, for coming on the show. You guys always know you can find me at AppLucentric, uh, my uh, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Same thing. I'm, I'm I'm very consistent. And as always, you guys know, we're all just human beings doing human shit. So please be gentle with yourselves. Bye. That was so fun. Hey guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid.